Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your featured host, Shah McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Sean McCain. Hello, everybody. This is Sean McCain, and I'm calling you and talking to you live from Los Angeles, California. Yes, Los Angeles is still here. Unbelievable, but true. And tonight we have with you... Um, um, a really awesome author of a book describing his experiences with the paranormal, paranormal. And Keith Evans has a bachelor's degree in chemistry from the University of Central Florida. He's a retired forensic scientist, and he has been involved in the paranormal community all his life. He plans to bring the guardian angel ghost or spirits to the forefront of everybody's thoughts. And he wants to teach everybody the importance of saving old Victorian homes and the antiques that are inside. And uh, I would like to welcome him aboard. And let me do this now. Hi, uh, I'm King Evans. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to your show. Welcome on board, Keith. We're glad to have you. How you how you doing in Florida? Doing pretty good. That's good. Well, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your background first? Uh, where did you grow up, and how did you first become interested in the paranormal? Well, I grew up in Maryland, and I guess my <clears throat> first experience with the paranormal, I. Uh, didn't even know it was paranormal. It was just kind of like uh, it was different because um, anyway, the background behind it is my uh, mother liked to sleep late, and I always woke up around eight o'clock, and I was hungry, and I wanted to eat breakfast, and uh, my mother uh, told me to stay in bed. So I had been talking to the adults about uh, the train wreck. They were talking about a train wreck, but they kept telling me to go play with the kids. So anyway, that one morning, uh, one of my aunts came into my room and asked me if I wanted to go see the train wreck. And I knew my mother was not friends with my aunts. So I told her, well, my mother's going to get angry if I go with you. But I told her, yes, I definitely wanted to see the train wreck. So anyway, uh, she said, well, your mother's asleep. She won't wake up. Let's go. So it was kind of strange that, uh, you know, it was about a quarter-mile walk to the uh, location where the train had wrecked and a quarter-mile back, and that's probably a good bit for a four-year-old. But anyway, uh, it didn't seem like a long walk at all, and uh, the train uh, was derailed and uh, kind of like strewn through a, uh area where the cannon factory uh, was like an open-air shed where they husk corn. So, you know, I, I wanted to see that, and I uh, I was happy that she took me. And we got back uh, – she took me back home before my mother, uh, 
you know, woke up, and my mother knew nothing about it, and I just kept it to myself. And when I was 13, I told my grandfather about it. Well, he passed away when I was 13. So I guess I could have been maybe 12 or 13. It was towards the end of his life when I told him about it because we never got to talk about it again. And, um, you know, I told him about, you know, how the lady that took me, I thought it was either my Aunt Virgie, uh, Ada, but it didn't look like either. It was kind of like a cross between the two ladies. And he looked really funny, and he said, that would be my mother. And I knew his mother, which would be my great-grandmother, had passed away when my grandfather was eight years old. So that was my first experience with the paranormal, and it didn't even seem to be paranormal. It seemed like it was unusual because, uh, you know, my mother was very strict about rules, and one of my rules was I wasn't supposed to get out of bed before she got up. And I actually got out of bed, and I thought it was one of my aunts, uh, even though it didn't look like any of my aunts that were still alive when uh, I was talking to my grandfather. Uh, so anyway, he more or less asked me, describe what you saw in this train wreck. And I, I told him, and uh, I probably don't remember all the details now, but this was when I was 13, and I'm like, or 12, and I'm like, what, 61? So I, I described it to him as much as I could, and he said, yep, that's exactly the way it looked. And he said that he was there. And I said, well, what's wrong with me uh, aunt, or, you know, taking me to the train wreck? And he said, well, the train wreck happened before you were born. I'm not quite sure what year it was, but I think wow. it was maybe in the 40s or 50s, 1940 or 1950. So that was my first uh experience with the paranormal, and I didn't really know that it was paranormal until I was 13, but uh, it sparked my interest, and it's something that I always wanted to do. I didn't really have any uh, of the modern equipment until uh, I was close to retiring, and then at that point in time, I bought a, a Mel meter, I bought um, an Oblis 4, and I used those two pieces of equipment, and I think... Uh, Shortly after that, I bought a thermal imager, uh, the TG-165, and, and that tar started my era of uh, utilizing equipment other than just myself. And I, I'm somewhat of an empath. I can pick up the emotions of uh, ghosts and spirits. I, I always uh, – we would go by, like, old farmhouses and old farms, and I always enjoyed the – structure of barns and the old houses. They look different, and they look, to me, I like them better than the newer homes. And I, I used to always beg my parents to stop by the old, different old farms we'd go by and let me get out and look. And uh, in the 60s, and uh, a lot of the old farms were uh, maybe 100 to 80 acres, and the farmers could not really make a go of it. They had to at least farm maybe four times or four different small farms to really, uh, you know, make a profit. So there was a lot of uh, old farmhouses that were just kind of sitting empty, even though the farms, uh, you know, the acreage was being used and the uh, barns were being used. And I always wanted to stop by and look. And when I'd be near the house, I w it was like I was feeling the owner who had passed away, you know, asking me to buy the house and please fix it up and, 
it was like they were telling me that my kids graduated from high school here and this was the family business and this farm meant a lot to us and we hate to see the house just go to ruin and a lot of the old farmhouses once the uh, you know roof was uh, uh, water was getting through on the roof you know there's really wasn't much you could do termites would get into them and it would cost you more to try to fix it up it was pretty much you'd have to tear it down and just rebuild so that was probably uh, the extent to my uh, paranormal research as a as a child so I well, enjoyed it, your, and I wanted to continue. Yeah, what was your, what was your first case? What was my first case? Yeah. Well, I, I guess the first case uh, would be when I was four years old. That would be, uh, you know, I uh, I don't charge people any money, and I usually don't have a client. I usually just do it by wanting to, and just being attracted to a location. And uh, I was attracted to uh, many locations, uh, old um, barns and farmhouses. If it was something I could walk to, I would just walk there and just kind of stare at it and and, and think about it. But, uh, you know, it, it was uh, more or less trying to figure out. I wanted to know who lived there. And I had an interest in uh, history, even though I really didn't care about history in school, Uh yeah. But I, I was just intrigued, and I had friends that uh, lived in a, a farmhouse, and uh, they said that they only lived in part of the house, and I asked them why, and they told me, well, it's haunted, and you want to give the ghosts their space. And I thought, well, that's that's neat, you know. That's so strange. even though I, I asked them if I could go in the other part of the house, and they said just really briefly, and uh, – you know, I just thought that was great that they were, you know, allowing a couple of rooms on the second floor and first floor to just be the, you know, ghost private space. I've never heard that before. The ghost, the ghost needed space in a house. That's that's very interesting. Well, I think ghosts are, are people too, and I think uh, most of the time ghosts will either stay in a room that's not being used frequently or like a basement or an attic or a garage. And um, I don't know, I, I, ghosts really want to have their own privacy and their own room. They're just like us, except they don't have the uh, biological body anymore, but they're still an intelligent electromagnetic energy, which is what's left when we pass away. That's our soul. And um, I think they enjoy, uh, you know, having their own uh, space. And you know, even when I'm using the mel meter, a lot of times if I'm holding the mel meter, I might not get any electromagnetic spikes at all. But if I set it down and, you know, just let the ghost or spirit be able to touch it or do whatever they want, I'll get electromagnetic spikes. But if I'm holding it in my hand, you know, it'd be like, you know, say like if I was holding a cell phone and asked you if you wanted to use my cell phone, but at the same time wanted to hold on to it while you were holding on to it. And that's the same yeah. way with a ghost. I think they they want to have their space. And, uh, you know, at times we all want to just uh, have our privacy. And I think ghosts and spirits are the same way. 
Wow. Well, I learned something new tonight. Um, you know, in your book, you know, you're saying that the best thermal imaging results were in the Pat's and Kathleen room of uh, the Hayes house. Now, and um, the- my hearing is not that good. What were you saying about the Pat and Kathleen house, the room? Uh, the the room you said that the you had best the best thermal results in that room Pat and Kathleen room as far as thermal imaging yes okay um, when I went to the Pat and Kathleen room uh, at the time I didn't know it was their bedroom when they were alive I thought it was uh, you know it was just another downstairs room and. Uh, the owners had put the house up for sale as soon as I had, uh, you know, got written permission to uh, do the paranormal research, and I wanted to go ahead and start. And uh, I wish I would have had more, uh, you know, information. But when I went in with my thermal imager on the northeast corner, it looked like a straight uh, pole from in the corner from the floor to the ceiling, and I've never had that before. So I turned around to the southwest corner to see how that corner looked, and uh, that corner was fine, but I saw it went from between two to three undulating uh, dark blue uh, images like a person standing there, but it was it was more like a I don't know if you ever seen the Casper the Friendly Ghost. It was more like a uh, dark blue, but uh, just like a round type inverted V with, you know, a round type uh, shape as a V is pointing down. Uh, the round shape would be, uh, you know, the top of the V, which would be like the head of the uh, ghost or spirit. And I think that was... Uh, uh, Kathleen and uh, Sunshine Gibson, who both lived there at the Hayes house. And I also think the third uh, figure that was undulating in and out uh, was uh, Annie, uh, and Annie was uh, Pat Hayes's mom. So, and I feel that the uh, dark blue looking pipe in the northeast corner uh, that I could see through the thermal imager. Uh, was a uh, was Pat, and Pat was tall. He was about six foot two, six foot three, but he was slim for most of his life. He had about a size twenty eight or size thirty waist, and I think that was him. And uh, I really I wasn't sure at that point in time whether they were happy that I I was there or whether they were kind of you know ganging up on me because I had never got that much thermal images in a short period of time. It was all within, I'm, I think it was like maybe 15 minutes, and then it was over. And, uh, you know, it was like uh, you almost had looked at the thermal imager and had to look away and actually look at the wall and see there was nothing there. And uh, so I had actually forgot about it until I started working on the book, which was probably – six months later, and when I I actually jot down like a transcript of everything, I tried to do it really quickly with a shorthand, so I went back, and when I read the transcript, I thought, 
well, this is great stuff. I wish I would have remembered that I had done that. You know, I, I forgot all about it until I actually uh, looked at the transcript and started to, uh, um, you know, document the chapter for the book. And I really think somehow the Ghost of Spirits wanted me to forget about it because they wanted me to stay and work on the book. They wanted me to complete the book. And, you know, it, a lot of times it's in your interpretation, whatever results you get from a paranormal investigation. And uh, getting these uh, cold areas, which were dark blue, in the patent Kathleen uh, room, uh, I mistook it as maybe they didn't want me there. And I don't think the Ghost of Spirits wanted me to feel that way. So I think that's the reason somehow they assisted me in forgetting about that so I would just carry on. But after I thought about it, you know, if you go to someone's house or something uh, – People come to greet you or you're introduced to maybe a group of people, and I really think they were approaching me to introduce me and welcome me to their house to do their paranormal. And uh, too many times I think we take things negatively when we should uh, look at them with a positive note, and I failed to do that, and uh, I think I was wrong for that. Yeah, have you ever heard uh, anybody speak to you or things moving or anything like that while you were there? At the Hayes house, uh, sometimes uh, there will sound like a voice uh, coming from the obelisk. And then when I look at the obelisk, you know, there's no word. But I can't say for sure if it's paranormal. Uh, that part of Apalachicola, Florida, there's people, you know, walking on the sidewalks. So it could be someone just talking loud. And I have a hearing loss from the Army. And a lot of times, certain voices I can't make out at all. And then another voice will come in loud and clear, even if they're a good distance away. So. One time, now this was after I wrote the book, uh, after Hurricane Michael, I had an opportunity opportunity to stay at the Hayes house. Excuse me. And okay. one time I heard someone, I, I rented the uh, third floor apartment, and I heard someone say, Keith, just like that. And it was a normal level, and I I I went towards that, side of the uh, apartment because uh, that leads to the uh, steps that come up from the second floor. And I thought that someone, you know, maybe I left the door unlocked and someone was checking to see if I was there or if I was okay. And uh, uh, there was a neighbor on the second floor that was there and uh, he was by himself, but it sounded like a woman's voice. So that, that was questionable. Uh, even if he had a TV on or a radio on, I don't think it would have sound that clear for me. I might be able to hear something or someone talking, but that was a clear and a crisp Keith, and it sounded like someone was standing right there. I mean, I looked up right away. But that was the only time I can remember. Um, I did at least uh, two one-hour sessions in each room in each porch of the Hayes house. So there's at least 40 
maybe 41 paranormal uh, one-hour-long sessions. So there's probably things that I've done that I can't remember right now. But to the best of my knowledge, there were times when I thought I heard a voice and figured it was the obelisk, but there was nothing, uh, you know, the obelisk also displays a uh, word. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, obelisk. Uh, at the time, I had an obelisk four, and it, it the ghosts of spirits, in theory, can use their energy to choose words from the database. And it also speaks the word, but since my hearing's not that good, a lot of times I can't understand what it said, but I look at the display, and it has the last three words spoken. Now, if you get a ghost, and some ghosts will rattle off six words, if that happens, you know, you might miss the first two or three words, depending on whether it's five or six that they rattle off. So a lot of times I was trying to just start taking pictures uh, and then go back later and look at the pictures and write it into my uh, transcript as far as what, uh, you know, words I was getting on the obelisk for. Well, your book, it's the, the name of your book is The Hayes House, Ghosts Are People Too. I love that title. And, you know, you laid out the book chapter by chapter to match each room that you were investigating. Yes, I did it in chronological order as far as the investigations went. And um, the first chapter doesn't have any paranormal investigations because – the first chapter is just about the Buck family, and the Buck family built the uh, Hayes House in uh, uh, 1908, and uh, they lived there until Jeff Buck passed away in 1922, and then the family gave the house back to the bank, and apparently the bank used it as a boarding home until the uh, Hayes family bought it in 1942. And then Kathleen Hayes uh, sold the Hayes house in 1996 when she went into an assistant care living uh, facility in Tallahassee, Florida. Wow, this, uh, you know, property and home is a very important thing. And I've thought about this a lot, you know. And why are those, those houses, first of all, so big? If they did, they have really big families, or or what was, what do you think is going on there? Well, the Bucks, I think, uh, had at least five children uh, over a period of time. Uh, so when the Hayes house was built, um, the oldest Buck children may have still been at home. So, but you would have to have pretty good money in uh, 1908 to be able to afford to build a house of that size. And uh, I'd like to also say about my uh, a book, the way the chapters are laid out, starting with the second chapter, I did just – I did whatever paranormal session I did, chronological order uh, from chapter 2 to chapter 21. And I start out the chapter with like a history – of, say, uh, Sunshine's room. I talk about Sunshine, uh, when she was born, when she passed away, where she was born, 
where she lived, uh, what she did, what type of work she did, um, where she went to church. I try to give a certain history uh, to start out with, and I also talk about how uh, the Hayes family used each room. I couldn't do that with the Buck family because I didn't know the details. So anyway, I do that in the first part of the chapter, and then the paranormal sessions come um, at the middle, and then at the end of the chapter, I kind of do an analysis of uh, what I learned. And, you know, also, when you go through the whole, you know, from everything that you learn to the end of the book, that kind of gives you a greater amount of ability to give a better interpretation to the words you got on the Obelisk 5. Well, at that time, it was the Obelisk 4. So anyway, it, it, was, well, uh, what, it was fun. Well, what is the mechanism of the using all of this? What is the mechanism of that machine? What? How does it work? Well, uh, I don't know. It is a. Uh, it's protected, so I guess the person mm-hmm. that makes it doesn't want anyone to steal the trade secrets. But I can only tell you what I was told, and uh, where a ghost of spirit theoretically can use their uh, electromagnetic energy to choose words from the Obelisk database. Interesting. So it's, this is like the EVP, EVPs people are talking about? No, that, that's a tape recorder. That uh, I don't use that because my hearing's not that good. And uh, yeah. I don't find that helpful at all. Okay. No, I've just seen that done, but I don't. I don't go looking for ghosts, so uh, I'm very interested in what people do. And well, how do you how do you first uh, go explain to us your uh, pattern of how you do a session? How do you start it? Well, at the Hayes House, I try to. Uh, I go through with my mail meter and make sure if there's any, uh, you know, like say if there's an electrical box or something, you want to stay away from anything that might give you a, a false electromagnetic reading that's from electrical current. So I was usually sitting in the middle of the room, and uh, at the time the Hayes house had a lot of little tables. So I would just sit a, a little table in the middle of the room, and um, I would lay my uh, uh, millimeter. At that time, I also had an EBI, which is a um, – it's like the millimeter. It measures temperature and electromagnetic energy in uh, milligals. And um, I lay that down so I can take uh, still photos. Uh, I lay my uh, uh, cell phone down so I have a date and time. And I, at that time, I had two camcorders, so I try to position the camcorders uh, towards, say, if there's a decorative fireplace mantle, like uh, 
they had at the Hayes house on the uh, TV room on the first floor, on the um, living room on the first floor, and on the dining room on the first floor, and in Pat and Kathleen's room on the first floor. I would try to aim a camera towards the, uh, you know, a decorative uh, wooden fireplace mantle, and then I'd try to aim one camcorder towards me uh, and also uh, have it close enough that I could use it uh, to, say, point towards the obelisk five. If I start to get words faster than I could, uh, you know, catch with a digital camera. And uh, I just uh, pretty much introduce myself to the ghost, and I tell them that I'm hoping to use this footage, uh, thermal images, and uh, digital photos for a book, a TV program, or a movie, and also would like to advertise with it on social media. And I ask them if they don't wish to be a part of this, then just don't communicate. So I try to level with them and and be upfront as to how I want to uh, use the information. And I'm sure some ghost spirits want their privacy and just don't communicate. But in the Hayes house, there seemed to be enough communication that, uh, you know, it would be good for a book. Well, as far as you um, making contact with ghosts and spirits, um, what is your philosophy concerning communication with them? Well, I try to be as respectful as possible. Uh, I've never had any uh, negative experience with a ghost or a spirit. Usually if something happens, it's sudden and it, uh, you know, a person, you can hear them like walking towards you. A lot of times with a ghost or spirit, you know, something will just happen. You know, you you might turn on your uh, terminal imager and there you uh have a dark blue uh, line that looks like a pipe running from the uh, floor to the ceiling. So, and also, you know, if a ghost or spirit goes through like uh, a window, uh, their electromagnetic energy is moving fast, and if they go from the air to the window back out to the air again, it'll sound like somebody took a plastic bag and flopped it against the uh, window. The window's never broken. But or it sounds like a bird flew into the window, and anytime something like that happens, it should startle you because <clears throat> if someone threw a rock through the window, you should be trying to get out of the way. Uh, but anyway, if a car backfires, that startles me too. But you don't necessarily have to think that a ghost or spirit is trying to hurt you or harm you just because they knock or make a sound. That just tells me that they've entered the room. And, uh, you know, if a person comes up to you, usually they're friendly and they want to communicate with you, and that's the same way of a ghost or spirit. But I find too many people take everything very negatively, and, uh, you know, it's not that way. At least I haven't noticed anything. There are good and bad people in life, but I'm sure there are good and bad people in death, but most of the ghosts of spirits I ran across have been very good people, you know, if not all of them. Some of them don't want to communicate with me. That doesn't make them necessarily bad. It just means that 
they don't say see anything that interests them about me. You know, everyone has a different personality, and ghosts of spirits are the same way. Hmm. Um, have, have you thought about? I know this is a weird question, but have you thought about what their their activities are and what they're doing? Like where they go during the day, or do are places haunted day and night, or what do you think that is? Well, I think ghosts of spirits can go any place that they want. Um, electromagnetic energy can just about travel almost the speed of light, which is very fast. And I think they can go back and forth from heaven to earth to look after whatever they love. And uh, I think at the Hayes house, the ghosts of spirits were there to uh, look after the Hayes house and protect it. And I really feel if you can keep the Hayes house original, those ghosts of spirits will love it because they see that it is the same house that was there when they were alive. If it gets changed too much, that might break that bond. So that's hmm. the reason why I try to get people to preserve the uh, house as it is and not to uh, take away the uh, old uh, interior or exterior wood. Unless it would have termites, you should leave everything intact. And the Hayes house was just about 80 to 90% original. Uh, it had the original uh, tongue and groove uh, ceiling boards. It had the original tongue and groove uh, horizontal wall boards. And it had the original tongue and groove uh, hardwood floor boards. Well, it sounds like it's beautiful, really, because I I saw the pictures of the porch and the uh, is um, how about original furnishings? Does it still have that inside? No, no. Uh, I do have uh, pictures of the uh, the way it was furnished when uh, Kathleen Hayes lived there. I don't think I've uh, put any of the original pictures uh, except for maybe a few that I put in the book, uh, you know, on the Internet. That's something that I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, because that that would be – I love those old pictures that show, you know, the people in place and then all their furnishings and how they live. I regularly – uh, research online and go go look at the old places and old photos. I just think it's fascinating. And then just to think that they're still here is uh, another fascinating thing. Um, I have lived in haunted houses before, and uh, I I actually um, have the same experiences that you had when you were a kid. Because people try to talk to me. Like what is a what is a ghost? What is a like, well to me they're they're still alive because when I see them I don't know they're dead, you know. So I've had a lot of strange experiences like that, like you were talking about, you know. Yeah, even I have to. Well, the, 
uh, even old buildings showing up where they they uh, really aren't there anymore. You know, have you experienced that in your life as you as an adult? Uh, yes, uh, <clears throat> I remember one time I went for a job interview, and um, I was uh, going to school at a community college and. Uh, I had like 30 minutes between class where I would take a lunch break. And, uh, of course, I, I gave up my lunch to go check on a job. And when I got to the uh, – it used to be like uh, old Howard Johnson's with the uh, really long, narrow um, office. <clears throat> and there was no one in the office. And, the, you know, most of these offices are not heated and they're not AC. So when I walked – I was like in the middle of the office and I just laid my head down on the desk and I, I just said, I gave up lunch and there's nobody here for me to <laughs> check to see if I'm going to get the job or not. And it, when my head was down on the desk, I kind of, you know, put my hands down and uh, put my head into them. All of a sudden it felt really, really cold. And I'm not the type of person that ever feels cold spots, very rarely. And it's like everything got cold. And when I raised up, there was a little old lady there. And uh, she looked to be maybe in her 80s, and she looked fragile. And I, I said, oh, you're here. And I thought, well, she must have been kneeling down, you know, uh, there's like a countertop, and I figured they probably had stuff stored or, or you know, there was a, a some type of uh, thing where she was working with papers or something and, and was out of my sight, and maybe she didn't hear me come in. So I told her who I was, and I was there for the job as a, a night uh, audit, and uh, I told her that I went to school at the community college, and uh, – she was really nice. She said, well, I think you'd make a, a great night audit. And I asked her, I said, do you own the motel? And she she looked at me and she, she said, I don't quite know how to answer uh, your uh, question. Mm. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I thought, well, maybe she, you know, maybe she's uh, a little senile or something. I wasn't sure. So, um, uh, I, I told her I had to get back to school because I only had 30 minutes between classes. And I went to shake her hand, and uh, she said, oh, I don't shake hands. And I thought, oh, my, that's not a good sign. She didn't shake my hand. So I thanked her, and I left. And uh, I actually got a job at a, another motel uh, tell in, in town um, as a night audit. So I, I never went back. Uh, well, actually, I did later on. I went back to see why they didn't hire me, and it was Christmas time, and the the young lady was working on like a Christmas tree, and uh, I figured she was probably the granddaughter of this lady I had talked to, and I told her that I had uh, got a job elsewhere, but I was just inquiring why they didn't hire me because I said the excuse me, the lady I talked to seemed to be very reassuring that. I was going to get the job. And then she just kind of looked at me funny. And she said, describe this lady, and I did. And she said, well, that's my grandmother, but she died like three years ago. So she says, you must be talking about three years ago. And I told her, no, I uh, 
I just, you know, got in the town before the uh, semester started, like in August. And I said, I haven't lived here or tried to get a job prior to that. So she just kind of looked strange. And I was kind of skeptical. I thought maybe she just, you know, jerking me around and not being truthful. But uh, then I remembered uh, how cold the office felt when I was, uh, when I laid my head down. And how, you know, if this little little old lady was that fragile, how could she be kneeling down working on, uh, you know, papers? Because I imagine on the other side of this counter, there was like shelves and all where they could have had papers. You know, usually when you get older, your knees are bad and it's hard for you to, to kneel down. So anyway, I thought, how did she disappear like that? Because she would have had a long walk to come from either of the doors, you know, to disappear. Cause I, I just laid my head down. And when I did, I, you know, the whole room, at least it felt to me like the whole room got cold. So that yeah. was one of the uh, few times. Uh, the other time I could think of that I saw a, a person that uh, helped, uh, helped out. I felt like that lady was trying to be helpful. I mean, she, told me she thought I'd do a good job, but anyway, yeah. I got a job elsewhere. It the, sounds like uh, she's honest, at least. She was honest with you, but she said, you know, how, she didn't know how to answer the question about being the owner because she seemed right. to be aware of the place and time where she was. You know, that that's, that's unusual, too, because she <clears throat> appeared to have knowledge she knew you, knew you were there. You were interacting with her. I, and she, didn't, she didn't know how to answer the question yes, about was she the owner because once you right. pass away, uh, a person passes away, they no longer own the property. It, you know, whoever the estate it's willed to, you know, becomes the owner. Exactly. That's but a, she looked <laughs> real... She looked as real as I do right now. I mean, uh-huh. I couldn't tell. The only time I knew that she may have been uh, a ghost or a spirit was when her daughter told me that she died three years ago. And yeah. I had seen her, it was probably September that I spoke to her. So, and there was also another time where uh, I saw a uh, person that, uh, uh, kind of disappeared after they helped me. Uh, <clears throat> I was living in uh, Panama City, Florida, uh, at the beach, and uh, I was delivering pizzas. And the I saw the neighbor pacing up and down the road. And uh, the neighbor I delivered pizzas to him and his wife and their kids just about on a weekly basis. So I walked up the road to see what was wrong because I thought, well, this is strange. And he, he pointed, and his dog, he had a big dog. His dog had been hit by a car, and mm-hmm. uh, his dog was actually, you know, bleeding from the mouth. And I said, well, uh, bring your van around and bring around the uh, uh, your doormat because I deliver pieces to him. I knew they had that big doormat. And I said, well, put him on the doormat, and you and I can lift him into the van, and I'll go with you, and we can take him to the uh, veterinarian. So that's what he did. <clears throat> and that there was a, a lot of people standing around. 
And this one guy comes up. In Panama City, it must have been springtime. At least it, it seemed like it was starting to get hot, and I, I didn't have any coat on. And the guy that came up had on, like, extra clothing, like uh, the way some homeless people would, would uh, do. When I was growing up in uh, uh, Maryland, a lot of the homeless vets that were just kind of living in the woods, you know, would have extra layers of clothes when other people could take them off. You know, they would have to just keep extra layers of clothes on. And this one guy come up and he said, I thought you would need help. And, and I, I looked at him and uh, we were getting ready to load the dog into the van. And I just had a quick conversation with him. I said, are you a veteran? And he said, yes. And I said, I am too. And he says, I know. And I thought, well, how would he know that? So mm-hmm. I told everyone, you know, everyone was uh, standing around the dog looking, and I said, all right, I need everyone to grab onto uh, the uh, doormat, and we're going to lift the dog into the van, onto the seat. And I said, I'm going to go first and, you know, help help me get the dog in. All right. He was the only one to help lift. And I was mm. on my side. He was on his side. And... We got the dog in, and uh, I turned around to thank him. And when I turned around, he was gone. He wasn't there. So this this uh, the gentleman I was helping, his van had windows. So I just scanned around. I figured, well, he walked around to the back of the van, but that was very quick. He was gone, nowhere to be seen. We went ahead and took the dog to the uh, vets. I, I tried to hold the, the dog's tongue to keep his airway open, and the dog, of course, passed away on the way to the veterinarian's office. And I told, you know, the neighbor that I was sorry his dog had passed away. And we took the dog in, and the, the veterinarian said, no, it was too bad. There was nothing he could do for the dog to revive him. And uh, th- he he went ahead and paid the veterinarian to uh, dispose of the dog's body because he didn't want to take it home and upset the kids. And uh, when we got back to the van, he said, I still don't know how you did that. I said, how I did what? And he said, how you did that dog all by yourself on one side of the uh, um, doormat? And I said, well, there was a man on the other side, the, the guy that had on all the clothes, you know, like he was dressed too warm for, uh, you know, Panama City's hot springs. And he said there was nobody there. So that that was uh, – there may have been others, but I, I can't remember uh, any others, but I'm sure there's been more. So anyway, yeah. uh, that goes to Spirit's help because uh, of all the people gathered around, nobody listed, just him and I. And then, of course, the, uh, the gentleman that owned the dog and was driving the van, he said that he didn't see anyone lift other than me. So that goes to spirit. If only I could see him, he still held up his side of the uh, doormat. If I just lift one side, I'd have just pulled the doormat out from the dog. It probably would have cost that dog a lot of pain because it, it looked to me like uh, he already had a rib into his lung and was causing uh, him to bleed from the mouth. He had internal injuries. So uh, 
you know, that ghost spirit was really nice to to help me with the dog and try to get the dog help, even though he passed away on the way to the uh, veterinarian's office. So, you know, when you have ghost spirits like that that lend a hand and help, when there's mm-hmm. human beings standing around who fail to help, who, yeah. you know, you just got to uh, say when, when people look at me and look at me mean and say, uh, all ghosts and spirits are evil and demonic and you're bad for talking to them, I know that that's not true. That ghost of spirit that helped was a, a decent he, – he he at least had to love animals because he helped out where the living people that were standing around didn't do anything, you know, I'm yeah. sad to say. Well, that's why he was there. He had he knew that you would need help. So that's when it's um, it's a beautiful thing, really. He sounded like a very kind person. Me or, or the ghost or spirit? Well, I was talking about you, but of course the spirit is kind. But I think well, that I, you're I, you're attracting these kind things happening to you because you're a kind person. Right. Well, I just I just remembered uh, 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 more situations uh, when I uh, when I retired I uh, had uh, kidney failure. Uh, I had taken a lot of ibuprofen when I was in the uh, uh, Army Reserves, and uh, uh, I wanted to finish up with the federal government and get my retirement from both. And I had to – I was in a lot of knee pain and back pain. So the ibuprofen kind of lays in a certain area near your esophagus, and it can cause uh, – you know, problems there, and it also uh, can cause problems with your uh, kidneys. So yes. when I had the uh, uh, kidney uh, uh, failure, I also had a, a bleeding from where the ibuprofen was, and uh, whenever you go into uh, kidney failure, your uh, distal ends, meaning your hands, your feet, uh they constrict to try to force more blood to your kidneys. But if your kidneys are, are damaged, it doesn't help. So I also had problems with uh, bone infections and gangrene in uh, two of my toes. And uh, two doctors came in and told me right straight out about the second day I was there that I was going to die. And as an Army medic, you would never tell that to a person you just don't. You always give them hope, even if you know yeah. that's probably not going to happen. So that totally kind of made me angry. And I told both doctors, I said, look, God didn't tell me I was going to die, and I told him I'm going to live. And uh, I was in the uh, intensive care unit for about seven days, and then they have another part of the hospital where they send people who aren't well enough to go home and they sent me there for 30 days, and uh, they started the uh, dialysis while I was in the uh, ICU. And uh, I guess about my second day at the um, the other part of the hospital, it was like a hospital within the hospital. I didn't know at the time, but it was usually where they send people uh, right before hospice care. 
But anyway, uh, when I was there, a lady came into the room, and she passed the nurse, and uh, they had me on uh, chemotherapy medicine. And the chemotherapy medicine, the way they described it to me, was supposed to stop or at least try to stop my body, my white blood cells or T cells in my body from attacking my kidneys so they could save what was left of my kidneys. And the nurse was very uh, concerned about, she said, well, if somebody visits you, you've got to let me know. And, you know, uh, I think whenever you're on chemotherapy medicine, they want to keep people away from you that might be pregnant or, you know, whatever other conditions. So the nurse was very, uh, you know, she wanted to know who might visit me and tell me if somebody comes to visit you, ring your little patient buzzard or whatever. So anyway, as that nurse was going out of the room, a lady came in, and the lady sat down, and she talked, and she was really nice. I had no idea who she was. I could have swore she gave me a business card, and she told me that I was going to live, and I said, I told her I agree with you. I'm going to live. I'm going to make it, and she said, yes, you're going to get better, and she said she couldn't stay long. And she actually came over and uh, held my hand for a while before she left, which I guess she was there maybe three or four minutes, and she gave me her business card, and her hand was warm, and then she left, and I never seen her again. About a day later, I looked for the business card. I could never find it. And I asked that nurse. Uh, I think that nurse was on for like three days. They had like a, a rotating cycle where you would have a, a nurse for like three days. So the next morning when that nurse came in, I asked her, I said, uh, what what happened to my business card that that lady gave me that came in that visited me yesterday? And she said, what lady came in to visit you? And I said, well, you, you must have knew her. She went right by you and you didn't say anything to her. And she said, no, I, I didn't walk by anyone. No one visited you yesterday. And that lady was really nice. So I could actually feel her warm hands. There was nothing cold about the room at all. Yeah. So that that was really nice of her. Oh, the other time, now this happened about two days, uh, the second day that I was on this uh, hospital within the hospital where, you know, people can't take care of themselves go for 30 days. At least I was there for 30 days. Um, when the ICU nurse took me over, it was late at night. It was at about 1030, and there was a nurse that met her in the hallway and said, I'll take him from here, and that nurse brought me in, and uh, uh, she got me into bed, and uh, I she started to leave the room, and I said, aren't you going to do my uh, vital signs because it's almost 11 o'clock, and she did my vital signs. <clears throat> And then while she was doing the vital signs, I was telling her about my book, The Hayes House Ghost for People Too. Uh, I was working on it. I hadn't published it yet. And uh, she told me that she knew about my book. And I thought, well, how could she know about my book? And she said, <laughs> she said, Mr. Evans, you're like me. You, you believe in ghosts and spirits. And I said, yes, I do. She said, if you ask the ghosts and spirits for help, they will help you. And she says, you're not out of the woods yet, so you need to ask those ghosts and spirits for help. And I told her, okay, I will. 
because at that time I would just pray to God. I wouldn't, you know, request any help from ghosts or spirits. And from that time on, I do both, you know, because I feel that ghosts and spirits are just a arm of God anyway. You know, they're like their helpers, God's helper. So anyway, uh, she uh, was getting ready to leave the room, and I said, well, don't forget my uh, uh, patient chart. And I thought she had taken my patient chart with with her. So I was just about asleep when a lady, uh, another nurse, came in the room and said, how would you get in here? Like, real mean-like. Like, she Mm. was surprised. And I said, well, the nurse brought me in. And uh, she said, what does this nurse look like? Real mean-like. And I told her. She said, there's nobody working here that looks like that. And I said, well, I mean, <laughs> it was like I, I told her that I was, I told her my name. She wouldn't know what my name was. I guess she thought I was a vagrant just stealing a hospital bed or something. So anyway, she uh, she found out I was her patient for that room, and somehow I, I was brought in, and she didn't even know about it. But And uh, guess where my patient chart was? It was at the foot of the bed. And I, I thought wow. the nurse that, you know, had taken it, the nurse that brought me in had taken it. Now, I saw that nurse one more time. Uh, before I left, uh, my circulation was really poor to my uh, uh, feet, and I didn't want to lose my feet. But the doctor said, well, if you lose your kidneys, you could die. And she says you could live without feet. And I told her, you know, I wanted to keep as much of the original equipment as possible. You know, yes. to include my feet. So they didn't want me uh, walking around. So I was getting up and, like, uh, marching in place like you would in the Army just to keep the circulation going because otherwise my feet were getting so numb, and I knew the circulation was poor. So uh, towards the end, I was, like, stealing a walk on my own. They gave me this walker, so I was out on a stroll with my walker, uh without the nurse's permission. Uh, And I saw the lady that brought me in again, and she was pushing a lady in a wheelchair. And I said hi to the lady in the wheelchair and hi to her. And she just said, the lady in the wheelchair doesn't talk. And the lady in the wheelchair never did talk. And uh, I just uh, saw her for a brief moment, but it kind of like reinforced, well, she really is a nurse that works here. But anyway, um, so I don't know whether that was another uh, ghost or spirit that only I saw and no one else, you know, saw, or whether she was actually an employee who was very helpful. But even if she was an employee, how how would she know about my book? You know, I, I talked yeah. to a lot of people about the paranormal and, you know, about my book, and maybe she had talked to another nurse that I'd already talked to because I had been – in the ICU, I guess, about seven days before they moved me to the, uh, you know, uh, to this hospital within the hospital. So maybe that's how she knew that I was uh, writing a book about the paranormal. But it just seemed like she knew too much about me, you know, and the other nurses didn't know when I described her, they said none of the nurses working there fit that description. 
So that was another uh, unusual situation where uh, I think it was probably paranormal. But at the same time, every time I see a, a ghost or spirit that looks, you know, as real as I am, they're always helpful. They're always looking out for me. And uh, there's no way I could find anything wrong with that, you know. No, this, uh, you have a really, you have uh, guardian angels that care about you and they're willing to help you in many different scenarios. And you just, uh, you know, I think that speaks to, um, you know, that all of us have somebody watching over them and that we aren't alone, we're never alone. And you needed that little extra help in that hospital. Yes, and uh, I hope uh, to be around maybe another 40 years and uh, to try to, you know, let people know that when they hear that knock or when they hear that sound like a bird hit the window, to not be afraid and to not... uh, think it's evil or demonic because I think too many people need that guardian angel and need that guardian angel to help and so many people are just pushing them away and being negative by thinking it's evil or demonic and I think that's sad that's it's wrong and it's sad and I'm hoping that my books uh, can show people that uh, you know they need that extra help from the guardian angel and uh, I'm hoping that I can change as many minds as possible. And at the same time, I'm hoping I can convince people to preserve the old structures, the uh, Victorian buildings and the Victorian homes, and keep those. Because if those are gone and lost to time, those guardian angels that look after the house and look after the owner that owns the house presently, those guardian angels might stop coming back and helping out and looking after people. And well, that, that would not be good. So are you saying that um, it's something that I haven't thought of before, but are you saying that um, ghosts are like guardian angels or that they're the same thing or – What are you saying? I would say the ones that I've run across, not all of them are. uh, They might communicate with me because I'm willing to communicate with them, but they're probably someone's guardian angel. And, you know, if they're looking after the house, they might not necessarily look after me, except, you know, at the Hayes house, I feel that, they looked after me because they wanted me to write the book about the Hayes house. I think they wanted me to tell the history and I think they wanted me to uh, try to, uh, you know, make the Hayes house as popular as possible. So it'll be saved for future generations. And uh, I, uh, I really feel that the ghost of spirits, uh, looked after me after I left, uh, after I had published a book and was no longer, uh, you know, doing paranormal there. Right now, uh, the Hayes House has a new owner, and that owner, uh, I've never approached them about doing paranormal there, and that 
new owner has done a lot of uh, almost stripping all the wood on the second floor. And I don't know if any of the original wood was put back or rearranged into different and new walls, but, um, you know, I, I really feel that uh, the ghosts still look after me. And I'll give you an example. Uh, during Hurricane Michael, I was living in Mexico Beach, and uh, after having uh, a kidney failure, uh, you seem to me, I, I always felt weak and tired, and it didn't take much to tire me out. And uh, when I was having dialysis, the uh, uh, the nurses who uh, would do the dialysis would say, well, whenever you're feeling tired, that's a sign that your kidneys are struggling and you need to lay down. Even if you don't, don't go to sleep, you need to lay down in at least a half an hour to an hour, if not longer, until you feel better. And I've always done that. I've always felt better. So when Hurricane Michael was coming, I thought, I feel so bad. I don't want to be caught out on the road with this hurricane coming. So I stayed put. And the storm surge pretty much uh, – the place I was living, it just tore it apart. Uh, the only two walls that were left were the uh, two bathroom walls that uh, the one wall where I was folded on to the light fixture above the zinc, and uh, which was the uh, east wall, and then the south wall where I was holding on to the uh, uh, little uh, uh, hand towel rack. And uh, it at one point, the water was over my head, um, and I kind of uh, – I was standing on the toilet seat to try to uh, stay – keep my head above the water, and I, I pushed off from the toilet seat, and my head hit the uh, ceiling, and I was able to get a, uh, a breath of air, and the water was right at my chin level. And at that point, uh, the bathroom door broke out, and then the back door broke out of the apartment – and then the water level went down uh, to where I was standing on the toilet uh, seat, and it was, like, right at my neck level. And for the next hour, it went slowly went down. But uh, the wind was blowing so hard, it tore the roof off. So, uh, you know, water was dripping down on my uh, forehead, and there was a piece of insulation from the ceiling uh, that was kind of whipping in the breeze and was uh, – kind of doing a, a a number on my forehead and the top of my head. But anyway, um, I really feel like that time, Pat and Kathleen were there. So That's, I think they were there at that time. I I, I really do. And uh, I pretty much stayed put because the current was so uh, – it was kind of like washing through my apartment. It was so – uh, the current was so heavy or hard that it would have knocked me down. And there was stuff floating around, like a large pieces of the uh, uh, next-door neighbor's home and uh, beds and, uh, you know, uh, anything from cars to uh, refrigerators. Everything was floating around. And if you got out into that and something heavy lands on top of you, and you're under the water, you would drown. So, uh, But I really feel like Pat and Kathleen were there with me. And that, that made me have a, a sense of calmness. You know, like people say, well, were you scared? And uh, it was 
it was like, no, I wasn't scared, but did I realize that I could be killed? Yeah, I did, and I realized, yeah, that's the worst mistake I ever made by uh, staying uh, in a storm surge area, uh, you know, with a Category 4 coming towards the the Gulf Coast. But I really feel like Pat and Kathleen was there, and uh, I just feel that was very nice of them. I think that they were – I didn't see anything. I didn't see them, but I felt their presence, and – at the time, I was more worried about the Hayes house. I thought, suppose this is happening to the Hayes house. And I thought, now the book that I write, people can read the book and they'll never be able to visit the Hayes house, you know, or see it from the outside or be able to go inside of it the way that I did. And I kind of was just totally worried about the Hayes house, more so than I was worried about my own uh, safety even though I realized that it was a very, uh, I was in a very dangerous situation at the time. Well, you're up to your neck in water. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. You know, we don't have any, unless California, you know, breaks off into the drink during the earthquake, which I hope not, but we don't have that kind of water around here. We used to. It used to rain, you know, a couple weeks at a time, and the streets used to flood, but we have less and less of that anymore. So it's kind of unimaginable to me uh, that you're standing there like that. Thank God the doors opened or whatever happened. Yes. And, uh, I, you know, the water was only over my uh, head one time and uh, there was enough space that when I pushed off of the toilet seat to get, uh, you know, a gulp of air, I, I was, the water was right at my chin level and I could feel the top of my uh, head hitting the ceiling. That was before the uh, roof blew off and took the ceiling with it. But uh, I just feel that it was so nice of Pat and Kathleen to to be there. I didn't sense any of my family members there. Uh, I think my family would have pretty much said, well, Keith, if you were dumb enough to stay, you're on your own, you know. And... um, it was just so nice of Pat and Kathleen to be to be there to look after me and to help me out. They didn't have to, and uh, yeah. you know, I thank them for that. Well, I believe you, and because I've had a a lot of mis- I've heard people talk about a lot of mysterious things happening, like you're talking about, but I've also experienced it myself, and uh, I'm. I am grateful because I have a lot of uh, the things, the strange things that happen on my behalf uh, are, you know, just currently have happened within the last uh, couple months. And um, I know there's guardian angels out there. I know there's ghosts, but my house isn't haunted, thank God, because it, it, it's, it's disturbing to me. Cause this place where I live, every house except for this one has been haunted, every house. Clocks running without being plugged in, uh, doors opening and shutting, shelves opening and shutting. Uh, you know, you could hear people. You know how when you walk past an old school heat wall heater, it'll kind of crack when you walk by in the carpet. You would hear that a guy coming in the front door, walking the the creak on the floor, and the creak would actually the. Uh, uh, heater click 
and keep going. It was very, it was just right around the corner from where I am now. And the kids would wake me up at night, Mom, it's so loud in the kitchen. And it's like, when they're in the kitchen, there'd be nothing. I said, there's nothing going on in here. But I would, I remember once being in the bathroom, I heard the kids playing, and it was in the middle of the night, and, and my kids would go to bed, and they just sound sleepless, you know. And I walked in there in the room, and there was no, they were silent, you know. They were, they were fast asleep, so I know a lot of stuff's going on all the time. I just don't want to yes. be around it. I, I agree, and you know, a lot of times uh, paranormal things happen to me uh, even when I'm not doing an official paranormal uh, session, like uh, for a book yeah. or for a movie or a TV program. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, live at the Hayes House from the end of October of 2018 until the owners that gave me permission to write the book about the Hayes House sold it. And I had to be out, I think it was about uh, the end of March of 2019. And when I was living at the Hayes House, uh, there was a, a, a people in the uh, apartment on the second floor. So, you know, when you would hear stuff, you would never know whether it was them or whether it was a ghost or spirit. But at night, uh, I would hear the steps were kind of like below where I was sleeping, below my bed, because yeah. I was on the third floor. And the, the the front stairway it went from the second floor to the first floor. It would sound like somebody was almost to the top. And there, there was like a little landing, and then there was like three or four more steps because they would turn and uh, to get to the second floor. And it sounded like somebody at the top of the steps just stomped their way up to uh, the, the second floor, and then it would stop. And, you know, I would say, you know, I knew that the uh, uh, the people on the second floor had to get up and go to work. So I knew it wasn't them. And I would hear that more than one time. And it would just be like original, uh, you know, um, uh, not an intelligent haunting, but uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, um, like a loose memory? Residual. Like residual, residual yes. yes. And uh, I would hear that. And uh, I had asked family members at the Hayes house what they thought that could be. And they said that Kathleen always had a carpet on the steps. And you could see where where the steps were lighter in the middle, where Kathleen had the carpet in the middle. And um, her daughter, her one daughter told me that that carpet was thick enough that if you wanted to stomp, no one could have heard it. So she didn't think it was coming from when uh, her family had lived at the Hayes house. So it may have been coming residual energy coming from when the Buck family lived there. So, hmm. but when I was doing paranormal at uh, the Hayes house uh, from about uh, doing my paranormal sessions from about uh, November, 2016 to uh, about June or May of 2017, there were um, 
three bed and breakfast or Airbnb rooms, two on the uh, second floor and one on the first floor. And there was a lady that was living in the uh, apartment on the third floor. So there were people coming in and out. And uh, one time I was doing a a paranormal session on the um, first floor front stairway because there was a first first floor front and back stairway room. And it sounded like someone run up the steps, and it could have been. And uh, I asked the cat. uh, They had a cat, and she was always there. And I asked her if that was her running up the steps. And she came down the front steps and looked at me as if to say, no, it wasn't me. The cat, I don't think, could have made, didn't have enough weight to make that type of noise. Right. So I still don't know. I mean, well, I had to do the paranormal sessions because I was worried uh, that they were going to sell the house and then I wouldn't get, maybe not get permission from the next owner, and then that would end the book. So uh, I didn't want to, like, try to follow everyone and knock on the door and say, was that you that just went up the steps? Because uh, at the same time, some of the uh, Airbnb people are afraid of the paranormal. And if you're telling them, yes, I'm there doing a paranormal investigation, then that might not be too good. So I was trying to just discreetly do the paranormal investigation. So at the time, I had no idea of whether it was paranormal or whether it could have been a person just run up the steps. But I don't think it was the cat. And the cat was the only one that I knew that was in the house at the time. Yes. Uh, I think that animals are also aware of all the spirituality and all the things going on around us, sometimes more than we are. But a cat does not. You can't hear a cat walk. That's not the way it works. Yes, a cat a cat can not stop going up the steps. But no. uh, the cat, she was, she would like when I when I first visited the Hayes house, um, the cat was like watching something, and I was talking to the lady that was uh, running the Airbnb. It wasn't the owner. About uh, you know, did she notice any paranormal activity? And she said she hadn't. And then I was watching the cat. And the cat would, like, watch, like, the stairs, like she was watching someone come down the stairs. And then the cat would change position and look like the person had walked into the uh, um, the living room on the first floor of the Hayes house. So I was watching the cat, and I was thinking, there is paranormal here, because just watching the cat, you could tell. So yeah. uh, I finally did get permission. I uh I kept going to the Hayes house, and uh, uh, the owner lived in Atlanta, so it was hard to catch the owner there. But when I did catch the owner there, you know, a lot of times, believe me, I, I, I knock on doors, and I talk to everybody about getting permission to do paranormal. And if I go to 200 places, I usually get about one yes and 199 knows or I just never get an answer at all. So when I told her that I was a paranormal investigator and I like to do uh, paranormal research at the Hayes house, she just kind of smiled and I thought, yeah, she's going to say yes. And she did. She signed the uh, cassette agreement for him. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, so far probably 
my uh, most successful experience and uh, more or less my legacy that I have concerning uh, the book and finding such a uh, a grand place, uh, a historical place with the original uh, wood, interior and exterior, at least at the time that I did the uh, paranormal sessions. I don't know what it is like now with a new owner, uh, but yeah. and to have such a nice family, uh, a hardworking family that they cared as much about things as I care about. I I kind yeah. of like fell in love with the house. I mean, I cared about the house, and I think that was part of my empathic abilities to care about whatever Pat and Kathleen cared about became the things that I cared about. And, uh, you know, it was a, a, a beautiful old house. I It hurt me to know that uh, the new owner, you know, pretty much gutted the second floor out. Uh, I just hope and pray some of that wood was reused. Uh, you know, I know people can buy wood that looks like the old wood that used to be uh, used, but it's not the same. Yeah, are you near that house anymore? Do you live near there? No, uh, right now I'm in St. Augustine, and I've been traveling around uh, promoting the book and at the same time trying to find new places to uh, complete paranormal sessions. Well, um, why do you like to work alone? Well, I find that if I work alone, uh, I could pretty much set my own hours. Uh, different people have asked to join join my team, which I don't have a team. But at the same time, it's very expensive to travel around uh, and try to do paranormal. Uh, you have to meet yeah. people. You almost have to build relationships. And I feel that if if you just call people on the phone – until they meet you and get to know you, I, I'm not sure if they really feel that comfortable. So I like to travel around, and if you have a team, it would just be too expensive. Most people uh, have to work to you know, make a living, and I can't mm-hmm. afford to help people travel. And uh, you know, being a part of the paranormal uh, and doing paranormal sessions uh, – is not really uh, a money maker. It's more like you do it from the heart. And uh, so as far as budgeting my money, it's very tight. And uh, I wish more people in America read books, but Americans don't read much books. Uh, if anything, I think my sales are better in Europe, uh, in Asia, than they are in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Americans are on Facebook and watch TV, and you know they don't really have time for books. And also, uh, most Americans are working two jobs to make ends meet. I know, but you got to remember that uh, a lot of people are using their Kindles now because they don't want a bunch of books. So you got to look into uh, making your book available on Kindle, and uh, also. Uh, uh, the audit, audit, what do they call it? Audio. So, uh, you know, there's there's other ways of doing it too. So, you might have to sprout out. 
you know, have an audio version for people that, that can't read and then have a Kindle version for people that just don't want to buy books anymore. You know, but for me, I love books, but I can't keep uh, buying a bunch. So when I got, you know, ill this past year, you know, I was reading a lot, but I'm just glad that I had my uh, Kindle or whatever you want to call it uh, app that I could read a bunch of books because I couldn't handle actually having all those books around because I have enough books, you know what I'm saying? Right. I understand. So, so that would probably be a good idea. It's something i got to look into. Yeah, look into it because, uh, you know, I know that people will get it in a second. It might be a little bit cheaper, but it would be, you know, I know people that are actually converting their books even to film. You know, and there's apps for that. It's really a, a interesting world of technology, but you know, eventually we're all going to return to books again. So don't give that up. Right. <laughs> if if, if uh, the internet and everything really does crash, we will have our books for the book readers. You know, but look into doing the the Kindle thing. I'm just encouraging you so people can actually uh spread it around a little bit faster. You know, if they read a book all day, oh god, I read this on Kindle and they can share it, they can talk about it, you know, just start uh, creating a book. Because this it sounds like a fascinating book and I wanna encourage everybody to get your book is available in several places on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh what are the other few places at? Uh the uh publisher uh outskirts press, uh yeah. They should have it online. I haven't checked for about a year now, but uh, Barnes and Noble can actually carry it on the shelf if they uh, if they choose to. Uh, I know with the coronavirus, uh, most of the Barnes and Noble stores uh, in Florida shut down. So, uh, yeah, um, there too. But they can carry it on the shelf. But you can always order it, and you can also order it online with. Uh, Books a Million and Second and Charles. I've talked no. to the managers, and they said yes, that if a person, but you got to go to them in the store and actually order it. And uh, I don't know if you can do it online from your your home computer, but I've been told by uh, different uh, managers at these Books a Million and Second and Charles that if you go to the uh, help desk at any of their stores, they can order it. You just what you do, you pay them that day, and then they mail it to your home. That's the new way they're doing it. Yeah, that's great. I heard that before, but I'm really glad you said it again because a friend of mine said she was getting books that way, and now I heard how she's really doing it. So that's that's really cool. So uh, I really appreciate you, Mr. Evans. You know, you told your story. And uh, there's a ring of truth to everything you said, so it was very pleasant, you know, speaking with you. And uh, I encourage everybody to get Keith Evans' book, The Hay House, Hay's House, Ghosts of People Too. And uh, at first I was struggling with the title because I didn't know what to think, but now I know what you're talking about. It's, uh, you know, these are not only ghosts, but they're guardian. We have guardian angels and we have spirits helping us. And there's a lot of things going on. We don't know what all is going on, but, you know, it's uh, very interesting. I want to thank you so much, Keith, and, and you take care. It's been a pleasure. 
Yes, thank thank you uh, for having me on your show. Okay, anytime. And I encourage everybody to get his book and support the cause because that's what we have to help each other out. And uh, I really appreciate you, uh, Keith. And you take care, and God bless you. And uh, stay out of the water because I'm in shock <laughs> still. <laughs> Matt, sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm shocked. stay out of the water. The water. Stay dry. Young man. Okay. God bless you. Lots God of love to you and yours. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. So uh, did, I had more questions to ask him. I forgot to ask. But anyway, um, I want you to go get that book and to help support our authors. Uh, they are all uh, very worthy. And Keith Evans is very a very worthy and kind person. So I appreciate it if you buy his book, The Hayes House Goes for People Too. So next Friday we're having another show, and it's going to be very interesting. So I hope you tune in, same time, same station, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And the paranormal is sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. We care about everybody. So whatever your circumstance is, I'm very my prayers. I love you very much. I want to thank you, my listeners, for being such awesome people. And for some reason, I want to play my Sharona. I don't know why. By the knack. So what I'm going to do is play my Sharona as we phase out into the next adventure. God bless you all. Stay out of trouble. Bye-bye.
Okay, night-night, everybody. Love you.